HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. Hey there, welcome to The Feed Feed, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Today, we are talking about the world of pitching stories, editing, everything in between on the other end of food media with my dear friend, Allison Spiegel, the digital editor of Christopher Kimball's Milk Street. Thank you so much for coming. Hi, Jake. Thanks for having me. So Allison and I go way back. Uh, we worked together at Tasting Table when you were the senior editor. I was the food editor. Um, and since then, you've worked on, you were a digital editor at Food & Wine. Yep. Um, now you're at Milk Street. You've kind of done... You've done the gambit. Yeah, yeah. A lot of lot of big life changes since uh, we worked together, but um, still in food media and uh, 
happy to be here. So happy to be talking to you. How did you get there? I love kind of your background of the things you did before food. So let's start with just like, what were you doing? And then how did you end up here? Well, I know, I know what you really love about my backstory is that I was the assistant for Jeff Garland for From about a year. And worked curb on your curb enthusiasm. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, that's the, the fun job that I had uh, prior to my food media life. Um, but yeah, I mean, after college, basically, I, I, like most, you know, young people didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew I wanted to be in media. And I actually, my first job was working at a Buddhist magazine called Tricycle, which I don't even know if you know that. But, I have um, no idea. Yeah, that's, that's something really fun to look back on because it's obviously like a special niche. Um, but it holds like a dear place in my heart. And uh, it was a great place to work. It was a, it's a magazine and website and all of that and uh, a nonprofit as well. Um, so I did that for a little while until the stock market crashed in 2008. Um, <laughs> and, uh, had you to mean there wasn't a huge demand for <laughs> exactly, Buddhist magazines? Exactly. It was a good lesson on, on niche publications. but um, Oh, I like is, that. We're going to come back to that. Yeah, so we'll put a pin in that. Totally. So yeah, it was a great place to be. And then um, after that, I did, I did. I jumped around a little bit. I did some freelance work, which I would recommend to anyone trying to get their footing. Um, just trying things. It's hard to to know what you want to do without actually jumping right in and doing it. So um, I just did some freelance editing and ended up working at the um, working for Jeff, actually, working on his book. Um, he is a comedian, for those of you who don't know, and he was writing a book and having trouble getting the words on the page and realized that as a comedian, he did his best storytelling um, in person uh, to a live audience, and I was the audience. So I would sit across from Jeff, and he would talk to me, and I'd record it, I'd go home at night, transcribe it, and that's how the book got written. Um, So that was a really fun experience, and we worked together so well. Um, I ended up just, you know, being his assistant for a while, working on Curb, um, and it was all really fun. Um, I worked at the New York Public Library for a little while, um, and eventually I landed at Huffington Post, which was my real first, my first media job. Um, and that's where I really learned about digital media. And um, I started as a generalist on their blog and eventually moved over to their uh, food section. And um, yeah, I was there for four years and it was a really great place to cut my teeth in, in media. So that's, that's the backstory. And I think we met after that. Um, tasting table, I went to culinary school. Um, oh, yeah. Just uh, going back Which to Which one? Um, I went to the French Culinary Institute, okay. which is now the International Culinary Center. Um, so, yeah, that, that, um, that's kind of my story. Um, I think going back to just diving into things and, and going deep, I, I, was, I worked on the food desk at, at the Huffington Post, but they didn't have a test kitchen. And um, the closer I got to the content, the, the more I realized I really needed to educate myself. And that's, that's why I ended up going to school and um, ended up a tasting table that did have a test kitchen. And that's where I worked with you. Yes. Yeah. Um, wonderful. So you have kind of gone through this transition where you were freelancing, you were the staff writer, you were the editor. Um, what is that transitional? I feel like it's two completely different mindsets. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I, I'd say like one, you know, you're really in it for yourself. And then as a writer, especially as a freelancer, and as an editor, you're really thinking about a bigger picture, which is something I, I really like and a place that I've really liked to, to be. Um, 
you know, I, I like thinking about an individual story, but I especially like thinking about how that story really plays into a larger brand. Um, and that's something I enjoyed a lot, getting a chance to do at Tasting Table, editing some of the larger stories there, and then moving over to Food & Wine, which, you know, is such a strong brand. Um, and now at Milk Street, um, you know, brand is, is the name of our game. We really, really are thoughtful about every single piece of content we put out there, whether it's a tweet or a book. Um, and just being able to think more broadly in terms of that framework is, is something I enjoy. Now, let's obviously, I'm a huge Christopher Kimball fan. Um, what is the kind of the one liner for someone listening to this who might not be yeah. familiar with Milk Street? Yeah, so Milk Street is many things. Um, it is first and foremost, I guess, a place to come and change the way you cook. Um, it is a magazine. We have a radio show. We have a TV show, um, which they're filming the fourth season of currently. Um, it's a website. We have a cooking school. I mean, it is. It, when I say it's many things, it really is many things. We have a, we have a store. Um, but everything we do is centered around changing the way you cook and elevating um, kind of your everyday cooking um, and when I say elevate, I, you know, I don't mean like really hard to do recipes. It's, it's accessible. Um, something that the test kitchen really focuses on is um, making sure that all the ingredients that we call for are easy, easy to find. Most of the recipes are, you know, 30 minutes to an hour tops. You know, they're, they're really accessible recipes, but um, they always kind of drive at this concept of challenging conventional wisdom. So one example that I really like, um, that the internet also really likes, <laughs> is that uh, we like to scramble our eggs with olive oil, not butter. Um, the olive oil just makes them like fluffier and it's faster. And when I read it, I, I was dubious myself, but... Um, That's literally what it, I do. It's amazing. So uh, yeah. you, you do no, no, it. No, no. I, I'm a very... You are. I'm a devout olive oil with eggs. I am too now. And I, I never was before. So it's like really kind of basic things like that that everybody can relate to that um, Milk Street really specializes in. Yeah. So you're kind of going through these past few years. You're becoming an editor in the sense of you are thinking about this bigger picture. Um, how does that kind of play in the sense of balancing individual voice with brand voice or mm -hmm. thinking about kind of curating? Like when you're kind of going through the roster of like features that are going out, how does that kind of play? That's a really good question. I mean, um, thinking about individual voice but making sure it fits a a brand is, is a very good question. I mean, I have to say, Milk Street right now, we just have, um, I mean, uh, Chris writes, our editorial director writes, um, we have staff writer. We don't actually have a lot of writers because we really do want to stick to, like, a very specific point of view and voice. Um, but um, that said, I think everybody, you know, they do really like ex are able to express themselves. I mean, everyone kind of has firsthand experience um, that they're referencing when they're writing stories. Um, I think that's what it comes down to, whether it's at Milk Street or anywhere else. It's you know the the old you know saying write what you know. You know, it's it's really like leaning into yourself and and really um, making sure you're being authentic to your own voice. Um, that's what I, I love reading, kind of like as told tos, you know, highlighting mm -hmm. chefs' voices. You know, I think everybody really wants to hear um, kind of the firsthand uh, experience. Um, 
I don't know if I'm really answering your question well, but um, yeah, I think if 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 I'm thinking about it in terms of like a a bigger brand vision, um, I guess just making sure whoever's writing, yeah, has has the firsthand experience to to really I don't know lean into. Um, and let's take a step back. So like we're we're back at tasting table. I mean, God forbid, but um, <laughs> the idea is that you are getting pitches. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for mm. in the sense of a good pitch? I know like when at Feed Feed, when the editorial team are pitching recipes, I can, obviously it's gotten to this point in my career where I'm aware and I'm looking into, and there's a level of analytics that goes into what what I'm looking for. But at the same point, there's just a level of unique voice, unique spin, um, the ability and accessibility, like you brought up before of, is this something that people are going to actually make at home? Um, how is that going in your head in terms of prose? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think what I said earlier, just like making sure that it feels kind of true and authentic, authentic self. Um, I think that kind of comes through, um, you know, they're not trying to put on the, the prose doesn't f- feel overly stuffy or anything like that. I mean, one of my favorite books recently was Rebecca Pepler's um, book on aperitifs. And mm-hmm. it just like sounded like someone was talking to me. Um, you know, I mean, she just sounded like she was speaking out loud. And, and I really love that, like that voice. I think that's why Alison Roman's writing is really popular. You know, just just being who you are, it really comes out um, on the page and in a pitch, you have to be succinct so it's a little harder to do but um i think i think the best pitches can get there um i think you and i both know um that we've both dealt with a very large volume of content and so you know a pitch has to be very fresh as well um and i would say you know that can mean different things to different people so it's important when you're pitching to know what the publication you're pitching to has covered, <laughs> you know, you don't want to cover, you don't want to pitch something that like they did yesterday. Yeah. Um, so that's what I mean when I say fresh, um, you know, and, um, yeah, it, then it just depends on what, what you're looking for. So at Milk Street, you know, although we don't, we don't work with freelancers right now, you know, we are looking for something, as you said, that people are actually going to do. Um, you know, obviously we review our own internal, content have our own brainstorms you know we're, we are looking for accessibility we are looking for um things that are practical and things that um challenge the way you might you might do things so yeah and so you've accepted my pitch which was amazing naturally of course. Um, naturally naturally what is your kind of delicate dance of kind of editing a piece of um, writing without taking away someone's voice or even balancing just the dynamic of the relationship with the writer, which is sometimes so important to a brand. Right. Um, right, Because obviously, as I know, writers can be opinionated. Totally. Yeah. As they should be. As they should be. I I think... um, that's something that I, I think actually just comes kind of naturally to me. Maybe it's just my personality, but I find it easy to listen to someone um, and kind of get in their own head and um, kind of think about the way they would phrase things and 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 use the words that they might use. I think that comes from, you know, I guess 
if I'm taking it one step at a time, reading the whole piece through, you know, maybe learning a little bit more about the writer, um, just trying to like get a bigger picture of who they are and where they're coming from. And then it's easier to kind of, you know, not put words in their mouth that, that would feel totally unnatural. Um, I really, I don't, you know, I don't like doing that. Um, and, um, you know, I think there's also, it's worth kind of taking time and going back and forth and saying, you know, can you re- restructure this a little bit? Like, this is what I'd like you to say. Can you try again? You know, I think if there's time, that's obviously the, the that's the ideal. Um, if there's not time, yeah, I think it's just taking it slow and trying to think about how they would say something. Um, yeah. What's the typical turnaround? Um, a lot of people don't kind of understand the timeline of mm. an article mm. when you get the pitch to actually assigning it oh to gosh. then getting it back and that's if it comes on time and then the edits and then everything else you mean what's the turnaround that like i would in my ideal world yes I, yeah I let's, mean, let's make a utopian yeah society. i mean <laughs> i don't know i mean really i've always worked in digital media so the turnaround time as we both know is like super fast super. um like too fast but um I think in terms of like responding, if you're if, if I'm going back to a writer or um, you know want to hear it from someone, I want to hear within a day from them. I don't need to hear their whole answer, but it, you know it'd be nice if they got back to me um, because I think I do think that people kind of work like out uh, about a, a week out, um, a month out maybe if if they're really getting ahead. But you know that those are those are tight tight margins, so you do have to kind of be responsive and um, yeah. I think you're as a writer. If, you're, if I'm sitting in the writer's seat, like you, you can expect what you put in. So if if you're being really responsive to your editor, they are going to be responsive to you, and vice versa. You know, vice versa. Let's discuss the state of food media. Ooh. Um, your experience is at all of these digital powerhouses, but of course, food and wine. Even though you're on the digital digital team, it is a the OG print. Totally. Um, what is kind of been your take on the transition from print to digital, the way that kind of, um, publications are really kind of putting content, um, forward and doing things in unique ways. When I think of like where we started, which was tasting table was first and foremost, an email newsletter, Mm -hmm. um, which is not necessarily the most prevalent form of digital content. And then we can discuss video, all these things, which are kind of things that Milk Street is really doing um, everything down to like my father-in-law's brother talking to me about like the new book. Um, Which is great. And yes, but he, (laughs) like that is his, he knows nothing about food, nothing about food media. He's like, oh yeah, I got, I got Christopher Kimball's new book. Um, And then then of course he just wants to know if I have any gossip about his, his times at America's Test Kitchen. And then I, trail off (laughs) but um what has kind of been your experience or your thoughts of how brands are kind of taking this change and shifting to continue to gain yeah an audience i mean yeah uh, that that's the that's the magic word audience i mean it's connecting with audiences in different ways is really what is the world we're living in now so um yeah, and, and referencing Tasting Table, having started as an email newsletter is a great example because it was 
the the medium of the message, and um, then it expanded, and and the and tasting table did a whole lot of other things, and as obviously food and wine, yes, yeah, started as a magazine and has so many other outlets. Um, it's it's connecting with your audience via the you know via the platform and making the content that's going to work on that platform. Feed Feed is another great example. I mean, you know, so um, at Food and Wine, I think. I love seeing Kat, Kin- Kat Kinsman's podcast because it's a very specific subject matter. It works best on podcast, and then they, you know, then they transform the, you know, the content into. Um, I should know, have her on the podcast. You should. She's oh, a lovely love person. Kat. Yeah. So you know, it it, it's, it starts there. It becomes content for the website, um, for social media. Um, but they've thought, thought that through, you know, it, it's, it's great as a podcast. I will say that Milk Street podcast is, is wonderful. And it's, it's a very specific part of the brand because it gets to, you know, really in-depth, wonderful interviews that don't, um, you know, the message doesn't translate as well into other parts of our business. So as a digital editor, I'm um, often thinking about, you know, what do our digital readers want? Well, they, they want service. They want to be able to, you know, look up an ingredient, see how to use it. They want, you know, a quick cooking tip that's going to save them time for dinner. Um, that's what our digital audience wants. Um, our magazine audience might want um, longer stories that they can sit down on the couch with and, you know, spend a couple minutes with. So it, it really is, I think that's the state of not just food and media, but all media is, is thinking about is how, how does the content fit the platform and, and how does the platform fit the content? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's been fun now to, to get to a place where I, I get to witness all of that um, in different mediums um, at Milk Street. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to be there. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on social media now. You might not know it, Jake, since you are the, the king of social <laughs> media, and I am not. Oh, but no. it's um, it's another fun challenge because it's like there's a lot you can do with social media. That's it's its own, it's its own universe, um, and it's not just um, a means of of sending stuff out. Like it's it's a whole community. You know, a hundred percent. We're gonna here, but. we're gonna dive into that a yeah. little bit deeper, but first we're gonna take a quick break. Awesome. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lily Pool Terrace. Executive chef Sarah Flynn's unique menu includes modern dishes with global flavors with a focus on local and seasonal ingredients. Social media and Milk Street. You obviously, you have Christopher Kimball, who's this kind of seasoned authority in the food world. What is then your approach to social media? How, like, am I going to be seeing 
Chris on TikTok, like what, right, what's, right, what's right. happening? <laughs> right, right. We're, we're, we're not, I'm just like putting a pause on TikTok okay. right now. We but, can, we can um, offline about that, but I'm very, very keen on it. I know you're pro TikTok and I'm, I'm, I'm pro you. Um, <laughs> but I, so yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And, um, again, we kind of just approach everything individually. So, um, you know, Chris has his own Twitter account, which is like a lot of fun because it's, it's him and it's what is interesting, you know, to him that day. Um, and we, Milk Street has a Facebook account, obviously, Twitter, Facebook, um, Pinterest, Instagram, you know, we have it all. So each platform we just approach differently. Um, you know, something we've been trying out a lot on Instagram lately is um, our editors who travel, our editorial director and our, our staff writer who's based in, in Barcelona, actually, um, they do a lot of travel and so does Chris. And they capture like really fun 30 second videos um, showcasing technique. Um, whether it's making a scallion pancake or hand rolling pasta, um, you know, these are things that you can't really get um, anywhere else. You know, they're on the ground and it's the, and Instagram is the perfect place for that. So we've just been like running at that for a little while. Um, Facebook, we're still having, you know, good success sharing our articles and our quick cooking tips. So it really is, is taking like a step back and, and assessing what, what people want on each platform. And how do you then cross promote? So like, I think funny enough, I was in, I was in Israel at the same time that Chris was. And I remember seeing on Instagram cause, uh, Reem Cassis did a, a demo of Makluba for mm-hmm. him. Um, is that then a recipe that runs on milk street? Like how, Great what, question. what is the kind of extent of something that's just going to stay on social versus that's mm-hmm. going to be used in every other facet? That is a great question. I mean, in an ideal world, we would be cross-promoting as much as possible, and, and, we, and we, we do it as much as possible. Um, that recipe, um, that did turn into a recipe, I believe. Um, and I, I'm, I think the name is one pot chicken and rice or something, but um, yeah, that turned into a recipe that we um, came from Chris's trip. It went into the magazine with a story. It went on Instagram. Um, and it also went onto our radio show. We have a segment of the radio show where um, various um, cooks will speak with Chris or editorial director and um, and explain the, the recipe, you know, in words. So depending on the, on the recipe or the dish, um, it just, it depends on where it ends up. But um, we do try to take take everything and, and put it you know where we want it to go I mean it, some things will end up in our school um, we have a we have a school and you know we have uh, so many classes we have classes online as well as in our school in Boston um, so it's uh, there are a lot of moving parts um, it's it's sometimes hard to keep track of everything but I think we do a do a good job amazing what is kind of been exciting about the kind of transition of new platforms when i think of Mm. a company like milk street just like feed feed like these are publications that wouldn't necessarily have existed five years ago Mm -hmm. um when we were at tasting table i mean i mean feed feed started five years ago so we were but um the concept of the authorities they are now today and i guess my question is, what does that look like moving forward? Yeah, wow, that's a big question. You don't, I mean, you don't have to answer. I guess, like, what are your thoughts in, in terms of do you see a return to like those lush features? Sure, do you sure, see, sure. like, I think of you were talking about um, the longer 
articles in the magazine that people are going to sit down on the couch for a few minutes. Right. And your choice of minutes was, (laughs) it it was obviously a choice. Um, And I think of the amount of time I've read a super long feature. The only one that comes to mind is the New Yorker piece on Anna Delvey, you know, mm-hmm. the, the crook that mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. that was, I, I that must've been 15,000 words. Like it was, yeah. it, it took me a good 45 minutes um, to read. It and I was just so hooked to it, obviously, because it was, it's right. No, but the world is changing. And yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's a time and place for everything. And again, it's, it's, it's the audience. So our, our audience definitely, um, you know, loves our magazine. And, um, you know, I feel like that's kind of the center of, of where a lot of stories come from. Um, but, you know, we can distill a lot of it um, into content that's more geared towards a digital audience. So that's something that I do a lot, actually. Um, you know, um, an example recently is um, I think our food editor had um, – a really amazing broccoli dish at Superiority Burger here in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved it. Um, we developed a recipe. You know who based... loves that broccoli dish? Who? Devra. Oh, hi, she, Devra. <laughs> she would talk about that all the time. I mean, it's an excellent, excellent broccoli. I did not know that Devra loved it. Um, it's an excellent dish. So um, our food editor loved this dish. He brought it back to the kitchen. Um, they developed a recipe using ingredients that were easy to find, you know, kind of streamlining it down. Um, I have a point here, by the way. Um, and um, basically, it turned into a story for the, for the magazine as well as a recipe. And when I tried it myself, I turned it into like a really quick... Um, post for the internet that was just a little bit more suited to a digital audience. So it was shorter. It was kind of first person. It wasn't like storytelling. I wouldn't describe it as that, but, um, it was the type of thing that you could read and say, aha, like I see that, that tip, I understand it. And now I'm going to go use it as opposed to sitting down and, and getting the whole story behind it. So, um, I think to answer your question, it's, it is again, back to, um, to thinking about um, the best the best way to present the content on the platform, and um, yeah, in this day and age, there's just there's so many different ways to tell a story. I do feel like we've moved away from the the really terrible rut that food media got into of like that like the one line like the ultimate tip you need to know the only the only <laughs> way you need to be doing that, and then you open it and it's like use the oven I know, or like it would be I some, know. some kind well, of it's yeah people are seeing through that I mean I think pe- you know, people at the end of the day they, they really want advice that's gonna work um so they don't want to be fooled um I do think that part of that has to do with the kind of not demise but the deprioritization of Facebook oh, um, yeah. because mm-hmm. you think of social copy for Facebook and and the, the concept of clickbait yep. and now that I feel like Instagram or Twitter are the predominant yeah, forms. Yeah, it's more authentic. Yeah. Uh, I know people get really upset when they think we're trying to fool them. You I know, mean, I would. Yeah, we have to walk a line between attracting attention. Um, you know, that's something I definitely learned at, at the Huffington Post, you know. I mean, but you, you can't, you can't, 
yeah, clickbait is, is, well, I hope it's over. You know, it's, it's also interesting. Um, there, so many publications are going behind paywalls now. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's... I haven't done any of that. Well, it's, like, I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Like, even, like, I, I, I just refresh until I have enough free previews right, for right, the right. Times. Right, right, um, right. I do have a Times subscription. I just haven't, I don't have the food one, so now I need oh, to yeah, get... Because that's it's, the other thing. It's is they're, they're separating out the food verticals Mm -hmm. so that you have to pay, even if you have a subscription, you have to pay more for that. And I get it because that's like where my, my allegiance is to that section. But, um, I think the idea behind paywalls and all of this, it goes hand in hand with that concept of finding an authority that is so speaking to you that you just need one, that you're just going to pay for one thing. And at the end of the day, it's, goes against kind of everything else we do in life because you have your Netflix, your Hulu, your mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, because there's a little bit of something everywhere. And I guess that could be the same thing um, in food in which you're going to Milk Street one day and then right. the Times the next and then but there uh, are Feed Feed the third. But um, I, I do think that people in the kitchen find their vibe and they stick to it. Yeah, yeah, which is which is why, you know, you want to have... You want to stick to your point of view, which is something I think all brands, you know, you got to double down on, on your brand, just like the best people in life are the people who are who they are unapologetically. You know, I think that it's the same for a brand. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for the subscription model because I think it just shows it, you know, it shows that people are finally valuing content and, um, you know, I am of the generation where we thought content was free. Um, but I don't think it should be. And then let's talk about social copy. Um, Something that I really love that I feel like is having a moment is this idea of brands in the first person, Mm -hmm. but not like Chris speaking, like Milk Street is speaking. Um, And the one I I always reference is Paper Magazine does it, and it it kind of goes hand in hand with the, the... kind of prevalence of humor um in media do you find that there's i'm not trying to say like is there anything funny about milk street but like do you find that um an importance or a usage of humor in food oh i love that question because first of all you know i love i love humor in general yeah. i mean i i love comedy i i do um you're a funny girl I don't know. I would probably call, call myself funny, but I enjoy the art. Um, I just find it interesting to think about, too, like like people who have similar senses of humor, you know? I mean, that's why we get along. Mm. Um, but I, I think, well, I'll say that, you know, anytime, and this is, I would say, probably for anywhere I've worked, when you're self-deprecating, that, that really resonates. And so that can be funny. Because people um, see themselves in the kitchen. They're like, oh, yeah. I mess up sometimes too. Exactly, exactly. And there's definitely like, you know, there should be humor there. Um, But yeah, in general, uh, humor as a means of of communicating um, food or otherwise is is I think very powerful. Yeah, I I love I I like that. So so it's more of a trend. Do you think right now that's on the uptick right now? I think the concept of and and you actually then took it and kind of even. Um, as an editor would polish it a little mm. more. The, the concept of self-deprecation, I find um, super engaging. The one first thing that comes to mind is uh, today, and it kind of 
ties all back to like old school Julia Child. Oh, and that best. was like her her shtick was yeah. like, don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. And then I look at today, Food 52, which mm. obviously, again, a million people sent it to me because it was um, genius recipes of Kristen's with um, Samin Nosrat doing Tadik. Um, and of course, everyone sent it to me because of I course. make a lot of Tadik. Um, but their choice of social copy was about it was calling out the fact that e- even if it completely falls apart, do as Samin's grandmother would and just like break it up into pieces and pretend like you did it on purpose. Nice. And it was the whole, it was the positioning of like, this is a, a recipe that honestly you might fuck up. Right. Um, because as someone who has messed I mean, up many times. I'm never going to attempt it. Until, no, once you get, <laughs> once you get the hang of it and it's truly, it's, it's, it becomes second nature um it's absolute magic but um their usage of kind of putting forward like listen if you if you mess it up a little it's still gonna be amazing is such a it's such a vibe for 2020 yeah compared to what was like perfection this is how you are going to make it perfect so that if anyone looks at you they think that you are better than them because you made the perfect bunt cake right right and i see i see what you mean because certainly that's like very much what's happening on social media um you know no longer are the really you know glossy highly produced photos the you know the photos that that people want to look at on instagram it's the it's it's you know whatever, the authentic, silly stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, I'm going to go back to my desk and think about how we can incorporate more humor and, and fun into some of the things we're doing. I think I think you're right. I think it does, it is, let's call it the vibe for 2020. The vibe for 2020. Um, I think the last thing I, I kind of want to touch on is, is demographic and brands that are kind of in a specific demographic, obviously it's like, I think of Christopher Kimball, I think of a specific demographic, but when I think of Milk Street, that changes. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, well, M- Milk Street um, is, is still, you know, it's only three years old. So, you know, we're growing every day. Um, I think it is a really interesting question um, because, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, we have we have content in front of our paywall and behind, but we are trying to like, you know, engage with with cooks who see the value and want to want to be part of our community. Um, you know, we are trying to break out of our 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 audience right now, but we're trying to stay true to the people who are our mm-hmm. fans. Um, so we're trying to reach new new audiences and um, stick with the ones that that we love. And it's very a challenge. briefly like what like how because in my head I think. A huge downfall of many publications is they want to grasp that new audience, so they start creating yes. content that caters to them, and they not only do not grasp that new audience, but they alienate the old one completely. And it's... I know you know, like perfect examples throughout the years of brands who have done that. Um, what is kind of the key thing to keep in mind yeah. as you're trying to kind of grasp Gen Z and yeah, yeah. even though they have no idea what a scallion pancake is. Well, yep, yep, that's you hit the nail on the head and um, it is it is really about finding I guess the the middle of the Venn diagram that can yeah. can reach both old and new readers. Um, so, you know, 
I guess, you know, I guess it would vary, you know, depending on what the content is. But for us, when it comes to recipes, I'll go back to the scrambled egg um, example, because that is something that is pretty universal. Um, so we kind of start with, I guess, the food or the ingredient um, that we feel has mass appeal. And, you know, you know, we make sure we're, we're, we're sticking true to ourselves, which is challenging conventional wisdom, changing the way you cook. Um, but, you know, choosing, choosing if we're going to go out to, like, you know, try to reach new people, we have to choose a food that we think everyone's going to have take interest in. So um, another good example is um, chocolate chip cookies. You know, yeah. we, we, we're going to do cho- chocolate chip cookies. We're going to do them. Um, but we, we put a milk sweet spin on them, and, and we make them with rye flour, and we toast the flour, which I think is wow. awesome. Yeah, it's, it makes for, like, a really nice caramelized flavor, and it's... It's it's totally it's great. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is something that all brands need to be careful of as they scale up, um, and maybe maybe it's about not trying to grow too fast. Honestly, it's just you know. Oh, that is music <laughs> to my ears. Hey, I yeah. mean you know making sure that you really are are thinking about the the readers first. I think. Amazing, it is time for our lightning round. Oh no! I'm just gonna throw a few questions out there. Tell me what you're thinking. Okay. Um, first one, uh, who's killing it on Instagram? Who's someone you follow like for inspiration or that you feel like you've learned something? Well, that's easy. Oh, my God. It's you, Jay. Uh, I, I love your Instagram account. Thank you. Thank you. What's something that you've seen recently separate from me that has like been like, ooh, I like that? Um, hmm. That's a really good question. Um, you know... <laughs> I'm sure people have said this to you before, but Great Jones, the the yeah. you know the cookware yeah, line. Sierra I mean, they're you. they're fantastic. Their graphics, their everything is great. The message is great. I want to buy everything. Love that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's important that you call that a, a brand mm-hmm. um, because that's such an interesting kind of push to that next realm of well, it feels branding, personal. branding that feels personal yeah. and has an editorial spin to it because she was an editor she turned. Was. Home cookware maven. Yeah. Um, When's the last time you kind of read a piece you were editing and cried? Has that ever happened? Cried? Oh, my gosh. Well, I I cry a lot these days. (laughs) I feel very fragile. Um, I'm tired. Um, Let me think. Um, Have I cried? Which is funny because we just had that conversation last week where I was telling you about how often I've been crying. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's just everyone's moving so fast. Um, I don't know if, if a piece that I've edited has made me cry, to be honest. Um, but I'll cry like on the subway when I hear like an amazing singer. Does, okay. that, does that answer? That's, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, what are kind of, if you can look back to your career, name a piece that is so either ridiculous, but you're so proud of it, or you're just proud of it because you feel like it really like got your point across. Give me just an example of that. It doesn't have to be your favorite piece, just right. one that you love. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, I haven't, I honestly, like, I've done a lot more editing than I have writing, but a piece that meant something to me was actually the, the last piece I wrote um, before I had my daughter. Um, so I, was, I really wanted to get it done before, before I was going to be off for a while. And it was about... Um, uh, vertical gardens. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 
I'm in love with our planet as we all should be. And I really, I take sustainability seriously and I'm, I'm kind of panicked about the state of our planet. And I, and I'm really interested in that whole industry of, you know, indoor gardening and indoor farming. And, um, what I found really interesting was there's a whole industry cropping up in New York city of all places. Um, and, you know, because we can't get fresh produce all year round and because there is such a high demand for fresh produce. And so I just kind of dove into that subject area and um, it was a little out of my normal realm of, of food and cooking. And, um, you know, it just, it was, it was fun to write and it was meaningful and um, kind of was like the end of a chapter in my, my personal life. So yeah, I think of that piece a lot. So yeah, I love it's not that. that exciting, but no, but that's, but that's, exactly, that's exactly what the question was. So that's perfect. Um, what's something that's exciting you in food right now? It could be an ingredient. It could be a person. It could be a restaurant. It could mm. literally be anything. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm super excited that pizza, um, specifically like slice shops are kind of upping their game. I live in Carroll Gardens right near F&F Pizzeria. Mm. Um, I know in, um, is it Jersey City, Rick Easton's Place? Yeah. Um, you know, there's just... Lions, like, Tigers, and Squares. Yeah, and there's really. just a lot of great pizza out there in, in New York specifically right now, which I'm just super excited about. Um, I'm also excited... This isn't like super new, but I love the small fish trends, anchovies, sardines. Like I'm just, it's so much more mainstream these days, which is great. That's also, you know, good for the environment, but also just so tasty when you think about like really powerful ingredients. Um, Huge, huge, huge anchovy fan. (laughs) Um, And I'll say one restaurant that I am super excited about that I can't stop thinking about is Golden Diner um, in in Chinatown. I don't know if you've been, but... um, Sam Yu is the chef, and it is just excellent, and it is just what it sounds like. It is a diner, um, but the food is exceptional, and I had a green tea coffee cake and a tuna melt with, like, salt and vinegar chips in the, in the melt. It was just great, so that's a yeah. great, great, yeah. There's a lot of good food happening right now. And, of course, my favorite question of the whole podcast. We are going to play Fuck, Mary Kill um, for you. Obviously, they're always catered to the guest. You have to choose between a 2,000-word lush feature, a 500-word head note, or a 140-character tweet. Oh, wait. So, say it again. A 2,000-word... Feature. Feature. 500-word head note, mm-hmm. or 140-character tweet. Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to fuck the tweet. I'm going to marry the, the, I guess, the feature. Uh-huh. And I guess I'll kill the, whatever the the middle. Nobody likes the middleman. I love right? that. So, do you, <laughs> in in terms of what what are you what do you think of the kind of difference between a recipe or kind of putting out a piece of content that is like has that huge lush kind of description of how we thought of doing this, how we went through it, the kind of scientific process um, versus like this is what we're cooking tonight here's the recipe. Um, I mean, yeah, I think there's just a time and place for everything. I'm sorry if I sound like a broken no, record. No, I mean, I, I mean, I completely agree. But I just, I, yeah, I, I love to find I'm, passionate people being yeah. around, being like, no, only 2000 word things, even though I would never read them. Yeah. But, um, I think well, I don't want to be overwhelmed by, by them. I want like just a handful yes, of really good. That's fair. There was just pieces. a whole thing of all these New York times, uh, opinion writers who are like, 
creating these memes on Twitter, just like dragging, like skip all of it. I just want to know the ingredients mm-hmm. and, and what oh, are the directions. Of course. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we all have to write head notes and, and yeah. stories. But they're so important and you learn so many you things do. for well, it. Well, you connect with the recipe more. So. Yes. Um, that's all. I think we covered it all. Oh my God. Uh, this is such a, a trip down memory lane. You know, I could do this forever with you, Jake. Thanks so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed and myself at Jake Cohen. Be sure to check out Allison's incredible editing skills over at Christopher Kimball's Milk Street. If you have a tip on who the next social media culinary star will be, send us a DM. We'll see you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.